we are back with Eddie Green's 101. I'm Eddie Green, and this is my 101, and this is episode number two, number two of the podcast, and it's not going to be shitty, I promise you. Uh, this is my Cinefix Magazine special episode. Uh, it's sort of similar to the previous episode with Daisuke, where we talk about James Cameron, and I did that purposely to kind of ease people in from uh, Terminator 101, from here on out. It's anything and everything film-related, so I hope you guys will stick around, stick around, and uh, check out the future episodes of the podcast and the YouTube channel. I'm kind of back and forth between the podcast and YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash eddiegreens101. This episode is, like I said, the Cinefix Magazine episode, where we talk with two of the very integral people involved with the magazine, Jody Duncan and Joe Fordham. And this episode was inspired by James Cameron himself. He tweeted about it one day. It caught my attention, did my research, and I actually added all of the James Cameron covers on Cinefix. I added that to my collection. The only one I'm missing is Aliens. When I got them all, I made a unboxing video for my YouTube channel, and it got the attention of Cinefix. And... I reached out to them after that and wanted to get them on the podcast. And long story short, I did. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. It's an hour-long discussion. I think it's literally exactly an hour, um, if I'm not mistaken. And there is just one little detail that I wanted to correct uh, per Jody herself. She wanted to make sure that uh, this was uh, corrected. At some point during the episode, we talk about the photograph of Sarah Connor in The Terminator and how at one point in her life, Jodie had uh, one of those photographs. And she didn't want the impression to be that there was a limited number of these photographs, you know, maybe one or two or three or anything like that. Um, she doesn't want to claim that that's 100% true. That's for someone else to decipher if that is true, if that is a known fact. I don't know. Um, you'll hear in my... Uh, natural reaction to it, I think that I react like, what? Really? You know, um, it, 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 it's a really cool thing that she did have possession of, but she doesn't want to claim that there was a truly limited number of these things. For all she knows, there could have been hundreds of them. So uh, Jody just wanted to clarify that. So that is now clarified. Um, and having said all of that, guys, after this quick sponsor, we're getting right into the Cinefax Magazine episode with Jody Duncan and Joe Fordham. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. All right, guys. So before we get into the episode, I want to shout out my current and past Patreon members over at patreon.com slash T101podcast. Lucas Grudzian, Engelbert Sebastian, Ruben Dobson, Danny Pyrate, Ami Prasad, T-Bob Art, Marie Spurlick, Oliver Mercer, and Michael Wellen. Thank you all for your patronage to the 101 Passion Project. If you want to join that list, get added content, exclusive benefits, early episodes, giveaways, all that fun stuff, like I said, head over to patreon.com slash t101podcast. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to a brand new episode. Today we are being joined by two very, very special guests. Uh, we have on the line Jody Duncan and Joe Fordham, uh, who both are actually very involved with the incredible magazine Cinefix. 
if you are not familiar with this magazine, please do yourself a favor, get familiar with this magazine. It's incredible. We're going to have a real fun talk today. Um, so before I just blabber on and on, uh, please help me welcome Joe Fordham and Jody Duncan. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, uh, thank you for coming on. This means a lot to me. So, um, before we get into the actual real question questions, um, uh, Jody, it's, it's my understanding that you are, have been involved longer with Cinefix. Is that correct? From the very beginning. From the very beginning. Yes. So that would be what year? Uh, 1979. 1979 and you started out as well I started off as kind of I would just transcribe interviews for Don Shea who founded the magazine and okay. then I took over circulation and then I became a writer and then I became the head writer and eventually became the editor-in-chief incredible incredible and then when did uh, Joe when did you join the magazine uh, 2001, that's the, uh, the year, not the film. Okay. Or, uh, um, but, um, uh, so in the, in the, I was full-time from, ja from January, 2001. I did a couple of stories before that, uh, as a freelancer, but, uh, Jody was, um, the, the editor at the stage and Jody's like, my big sister, um, Cinefix, she's taught me everything I know, all the ropes of how, how to, wrangle these stories and uh, uh, everyone is like um, wrestling a rhinoceros. Yeah. Lots of moving parts. Oh, I bet. I bet. And um, Jody, what was it? Um, why did, why did Don Shea, who you said is the founder of Cinefix, why did he, um, since we're you know, not able to have him on, why did he, decide to create a magazine that wasn't necessarily all about film. It was to, to really zero in on the, the, the technical aspect of filmmaking. Why did he make that decision? Well, he had written uh, a couple of big articles, including one uh, about Close Encounters of the Third Kind for Cinefantastique. Um, I'm sure you or a lot of your listeners are aware of Cinefantastique which was yes. more kind of a genre magazine. It wasn't really so much visual effects related, but of course, after having talked to Doug Trumbull and a lot of people for the Close Encounters article, Don kind of knew everyone in the visual effects business at that point, which was easy to do since there were about 10 people, you know? I mean, it was not what it is today. And he, I remember we were having lunch one day and he, in like 1978, and he said, you know, I think because of all the things that are happening with visual effects, you know, motion control had just started and and uh, the Star Wars movies were, you know, heating up everything. And he said, I, I think there's room for a magazine that's completely devoted to visual effects. And he took a year to do the first issue because he did everything. And I mean, everything. And we used to go around, we had little cards made up trying to get subscribers and we'd go and give the cards to people standing in line for Star Trek, the movie. I remember that. And, um, uh, you know, he just, he started it and it 
it launched in 1979 and it went from there. Incredible. And now he's actually retired, correct? He doesn't, uh, he's not involved necessarily with the magazine anymore. He's still at our editorial meetings and, uh, you know, we all, um, he's kind of got emeritus status, I would say. I, I would say he's 100% uh, retired. We still uh, go to him for advice and um, things like that. But he's he's traveling a lot and doing as little for Cinefix as he can get by with. Interesting, interesting. Well, I have to say, if you could pass a message along, uh, you know, thank him and thank you guys for your for your work on this magazine. It's it's. Um, it's just such a treat. And so the reason I wanted to get you on here was because um, I am a giant fan of James Cameron in particular. He's my favorite filmmaker of all time. And something that's really cool about Cinefix is, correct me if I'm wrong, he is the only director that Cinefix has featured pretty much like a cover story for all of his films. Hmm. Could be. I think it might be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's a, a cover for the Terminator. There's a cover for Aliens, Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar, and even the newest one, Alita. He didn't direct it, but he is a, you know, a producer on that film. I, I'm pretty sure he might be the only director that has that honor. And he actually, funny enough, what brought Cinefix to my attention was he tweeted... Um, a, a tweet recently when the Alita issue came out, he said that, you know, basically his wife um, thinks of time as, you know, when they have children or how their children age, but he considers uh, time with Cinefix covers. Yeah, and we saw that. And yeah, it was just, I was like, Cinefix, I've never heard of this magazine. And, and I clicked it and I've just been obsessed with it, reading, you know, everything I can read in here. And, it's just a true, a true spectacle of a magazine. And um, something I wanted to really focus on is the, um, the layout of the magazine itself. It's a pretty unique design to a magazine. Um, Jody, since you were there from the beginning, uh, what was the kind of uh, talks that went into the design of the magazine itself? Were you uh, a part of that? Like, how come it looks the way it looks? That's all Don. And I know one of the reasons he gave it the rather odd little shape that it has, because it roughly uh, correlated to, to um, you know, frame ratios. So he wanted to be able to reproduce a frame from a movie and have it be more or less as it would have appeared on the screen. And we were told by big time distributors that it would never work, uh, that it would get lost behind other magazines because it's shorter and squatter. But what we found like in Barnes and Noble and places like that, they just put the Cinefaxes in front, you know, so uh, they don't get lost behind other magazines for the most part. But I think that was the main reason also, Don, from the beginning, really thought of Cinefix more as a book than he did a magazine. That's why we had very heavy uh, paper covers. And, uh, you know, the 
gosh, there's like 36, any about 36,000 words of content, uh, which is, you know, it's a small book, but that's a book. Um, and so he, because he thought of it more as a book than he did a magazine, he wanted it to kind of look like a book. It was just a book that originally came out four times a year. And for the last few years, it's been coming out six times a year. Interesting. Interesting. It is, uh, you, you mentioned the paper and it's just, yeah, like holding them. Cause I'm, I'm literally holding every single issue that I have. It's just, they have such a great weight to them. And, and, uh, you, like, you definitely feel like you have a quality, uh, piece in front of you and, uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So, um, kind of for this episode, I wanted to, as, you know, as much as you guys want to talk about it, go in order of, uh, the release of the film. So, uh, to start with, uh, the Terminator and, um, I would imagine that when this came out, uh, you and Don both were like, oh my gosh, we absolutely have to cover this. Did you guys get like, like, how did you find out about the Terminator? Because, well, this is, this is an interesting little story, actually. Um, we were not going to cover it um, at all. You know, we heard, we'd heard about it. We knew it was coming up. But uh, James Cameron, of course, at the time was pretty much unknown quantity. And we weren't going to cover it. One thing, Cinefix has never covered, um, you know, slasher movies or really super low budget movies. And that's, it's just been an editorial choice not to do that. And I think Don and probably a lot of other people just assumed it would be, you know, kind of a little low budget nothings. And the only reason Don even went to see it was because his son at the time, who was about 12, I think, or 13, who, um, is now our publisher, by the way, um, he, he wanted to see it. He was a 12, 13-year-old boy. So, of course, he wanted to see Terminator. Don had no interest in seeing it. And so Don took his son to see it and came back from seeing it and completely scrapped whatever we had planned to do for that next issue and said, we are doing a big article on the Terminator. It was absolutely terrific. This James Cameron guy is a genius. And so that's what happened. Um, so we were a little late to the party, but I think a lot of people were. I don't think most people knew what Terminator was going to be. Well, of course, no one knew what it was going to be before it came out. Very true. Very true. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those cases where it was just this little thing and then took the world by storm, essentially, when you look back on it and um, what I'm gathering from that is that, um, I assumed that you guys knew the movie was being made and that you had kind of, uh, early access to it. But from what I'm gathering, it's the film comes out and then you guys decide to cover it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We, we didn't have anything, any access to anything before it actually released, but Don did get pretty, um, you know, he and, and Jim Cameron, you know, got to know each other pretty well. And I would say we were much more in on aliens and the movies after that than, you know, beforehand, um, just because Don and Jim kind of had a relationship and, you know, Jim would invite Don to like super early screenings. 
I'm not talking press screenings. I mean, screenings where they're still kind of editing the movie and stuff. So we had a little more early access to the later movies. But that one, we were just like everybody else. We just went to see it when it came out and went from there. Very, very cool. And and the photos that are in that issue, um, those are like basically those are all provided to you, correct? Like every photo that is given to Cinefix is uh, from the studio or from the filmmakers themselves. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, from the studios, yes. The studio has to okay everything. Wow, it's just you, like you really look at it and it's incredible. I mean, I had Jeff Don, who is the, uh, the makeup artist that worked on Terminator, Terminator 2, um, he, he actually has come on the podcast and it's just to look at the work and the, the stop motion and it's, it's truly phenomenal stuff. Joe, so you were not involved with Cinefix at this time, but I was reading it. I was going to say, I was going to say, do you remember like possibly picking this issue up or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, my my the first Cinefix I bought was was the Blade Runner issue, and I bought um, all the ones that had Spielberg covers. And then I I was just starting to work in the film industry, and I would I found to my joy that they had a huge they had a subscription, and they had all the co- copies. So this is one that I read and didn't own for years. And um, uh, I I have a question for Jody, if you don't mind me bending your protocol a bit, because I I revisited the uh the our cinefix um on terminator which is one of our i believe it's one of our out of print issues but you can you can get it on the ipad yeah Yeah. but um so i look i noticed that the magazine was dated april 85 and uh the movie came out in uh, october 84 so um it did did they decide, did don and greg decide to do this like during the general release and it, it took that long between October and April for, for the, the, to pull the story together. And, you know, of course, as a quarterly magazine and you know what our schedule is like now, Joe, but I mean, you know what it was like when we were quarterly. Um, If a movie came out in October, obviously whatever the next issue was, was already in the works. So it would have meant the issue after that. So that would get you to like April because you know, yeah. there'd be like almost six months um, from the time we Don saw the movie and decided he wanted to cover it. If he already had an issue about ready to go to print, then it goes to print, goes through the whole production process. That's a couple of months. And then another three months after that. So that's why. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great it's a great article and it's really fun to look back at the older stories because uh, it, it's just a different world back then. The way the, 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 the publicity machine worked and and uh, the depth in, in the story. The other thing I wanted to ask Jody <laughs> is that I, um, Jennifer Benid is is named as the uh, uh, has got the byline on the story. Um who was she? You know, I was, I, thought, I, was, I was wondering the same thing when I went back and looked at it because I thought the yeah. article was very well written. Um, yeah. I don't remember. Um, you know, I had nothing to do with editorial at that time. So yeah. it's nothing I would have been involved with. So I, don't, I have no idea, but I found myself wondering the same thing because I thought, geez, this is a really well-written article. I wonder if this Yeah, I was. thought Dom did it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought I thought my memory is that Don wrote, wrote all the Jim Cameron articles I thought he because did too. Um, I was very that was the case. Wasn't that the case on Titanic? That huge. Yeah. Or no, you and you and Don. I can't remember now, but no, um, I think Don did that. Yeah, I might have done that. I don't know. Yeah, so there's some yeah, there's some mysteries about it, but uh, the the access um, uh, is was really thrilling. And and uh, what's really lovely, if you look at the pictures in the old Cinefix article, again, you can look at it for like I think it's like what is it like five or six bucks on an iPad. If you have the uh, iPad app, you can you can see the whole article, and, and it's all beautifully laid out with detailed scans of the high-res scans of the images you can see these um fresh-faced young men um some of them look like they're barely out of their teens uh, um who are some of our favorite interviewees still uh shane mahan is prominently featured yeah. and and jeff yeah, jeff dawn's in there with his wonderful perm yes yes <laughs> From back in the day, but but Shane, uh, uh, Shane and his business partners um, operate Legacy Effects, and we it's one I know Jody shares this with me. It's one of our great joys whenever we get to go to Legacy because um, they're local um, uh, to us, and and they're such wonderful storytellers because they came up working with Stan Win Stan Winston, and uh, uh, yeah, then their company is named after Legacy is a direct reference to what they learned from Stan. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, you know it's um, uh, it's great to see them in their formative years. And Shane was the was the one who wore the uh, endo um, upper body skeleton, sort of wandering around in the in the, uh, uh, the the factory at the end of the Terminator. Right. He wore it like like a kind of a um, you know, a rig on top of his shoulders, mm -hmm. and you can you know, so it, it's a very tactile thing. And uh, you know, it's it's all there in the, in that Cinefax story, how every gory bit was done. It really is. And, you know, I, I, I definitely implore people to check it out, whether it's, you know, on the iPad version or if you're like me, even though it is out of print, you can definitely still hunt it down. And just to have a physical copy of it is is really special. And, uh, you know, definitely go on the website because what's really surprising is that there's quite a lot of, of the issues that are still available to buy directly from Cinefax. Yeah. yeah. How did you get your, your Terminator copy then, Eddie? Because I think that's, that's a, quite a collector's item you've got there. I, you know, it's, it's, it's that famous site, eBay. It's just, okay. right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's, a, it's actually in really terrific condition as well. So, uh, Great. Well, yeah, look after that. Absolutely. And, ju and just the cover of the endo is, you know, that's something that I love about the, uh, the covers is, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have images that you would necessarily think, but that really showcase uh, yeah. uh, the visual effects, the, uh, the practical effects, um, what, what kind of decisions go into the covers? Like if there are criteria that the covers have to meet, yeah. That's Don. Yeah. yeah. That that came from Don too. Um and just kind of his personal um aesthetic preferences. He likes uh covers that are pretty clean images. Like he doesn't want a bunch of things. It's gonna be like one dinosaur, it'll be the T Rex, it's not gonna be that big wide shot from Jurassic Park where they're all at the watering hole, for example. Um he doesn't really like to have people uh stars which is kind of 
the PR people at the studios can't believe it. You mean you don't want Tom Cruise on the cover of your Edge of Tomorrow issue? No, <laughs> we don't, actually. <laughs> um, we'd rather have the alien from, um, or was that the name of that movie? You know the one I mean. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, we've had to break that a couple of times, but it's very rare. Um, my big contribution to the covers for many, many years was I'm the one that picked the color of the Cinefix logo because Don is colorblind. Uh, so, which means he does not see certain colors like against a dark background at all. And I remember one time we got into almost a screaming match because I had picked a kind of orangish red color for the logo because it was a black starry background. And he sat there and said to me, Jody, that does not show up. I can't even see the Cinefix at all. And I said, yeah, Don, that's because you're colorblind. Oh. <laughs> uh, believe me, for the 99% of the people who are not colorblind, orangish red shows up against black really, really well. And I mean, it's something we laugh about because he, he was so just adamant that, uh, you know, you couldn't see orange against black. But anyway, that was the beginning and end of my contribution to, to covers for many years. But I would say mainly you'll notice they're almost all very clean, strong, single images of a single thing. That's, that's usually what they are. Brilliant. Did you notice, Eddie, the, uh, from the story on Terminator, is that, that image that you indicated of the stop motion, it's, it's probably one of the most important images from the film because Jim Cameron uh, is, is a lovely big fat paragraph where he explains his inspiration for the film. I think, think it came from a dream yeah, yeah. and that was yeah. it. Yeah, that was it. It was basically this, this, this image of the Endo rising out of the fire and, and he retrofitted the entire idea and the story to that one image. So it's very important. Don, Don picked a good one there. Yeah. Oh, he did. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you it's... know, on our, our, I will say this, our Aliens cover, believe it or not, they could not find a frame from Aliens that Don felt like made a strong enough cover. So Cameron helped uh, expedite a situation where Don hired a photographer to go to Stan Winston's studio or someplace. And with just the right lighting, and they, they actually, um, we shot the Alien Queen for our Aliens cover. Um, that was a that was our own shot. Wow! Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Fascinating. So okay, so um, going from the Terminator to Aliens, like you said, uh, Cinefix was much more active from that point on. Um, so from that point on, you are basically because what two years goes by between those two films. So really, Cinefix, I would assume, has kind of you know garnered a following by that point and uh you know is it something where cinefix is you know during the making of a film it's like hey let's get those cinefix people on here so that they can you know write up an article here and then that's going to get us more publicity is that something that you know started happening well it was a little more casual back in those days uh it certainly doesn't happen now because you know secrecy has become the most important thing you know what the studios go through to try to keep things from leaking and keep images from leaking and 
you know, piracy and everything that happens with the internet has just made them completely and understandably paranoid about anything getting out. In fact, even if we see a movie, if we get invited to something, to a screening that's, you know, even just two weeks before the movie comes out, we usually have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And, uh, not always, but often. And uh, But back then, because there wasn't the internet, there wasn't as big a fear of things getting out. So it was a little more casual. I wouldn't say anybody was saying, hey, let's get those Cinefix people on you know, on the set, much more so Cinefix kind of led to Don and I writing several um, making of books. And of course, like for Jurassic Park and and, uh, Avatar and a few other things. So if you're writing the making of book, they they were much more likely to kind of bring you into the fold for that, but but not for Cinefix so much. Okay. Yeah, you you brought up the fact that because uh, uh, you and Don wrote the uh, the making of Terminator Two, like that that book. Um, yeah, and that's another terrific book. Uh, also, I strongly suggest every you know whoever's listening to this, if you don't own that book, go find that book as well. It's just these are you know invaluable resources to just add to uh, your collection, and and uh, it, you know it's it's just a testament to. Um, the time that they were made in because really today it's, it's getting harder and harder. I think personally to find that kind of stuff, you know, cause now we do live in the, the day and age where everything is going digital and, and there's just, the, the, there's a tactile feeling to holding something in your hand and, and uh, you feel like you're really supporting whoever it was that put this out versus digital. Uh, that's just my opinion on it. But um Well, I know the visual effects people and the physical effects people have always appreciated it. Um, You know, we're not People Magazine or Entertainment Weekly, so I'm not sure the studios care that much. But the visual effects people care a lot. Um, It means a lot to them to be featured in Cinefix. And um, they have, because, you know, before we came along, really, for the most part, there was not, you know, they almost kind of worked in uh, obscurity, really. Um, nobody really knew those names. Dennis Murin wasn't a name, you know. Um, Stan Winston wasn't a name. So they have appreciated that a magazine came along that was just dedicated to what they do. And that I know, and we get that all the time when we interview, lots of times even directors, they'll say, oh, you know, uh, Cinefix has meant so much to me. We've been told a million times Cinefix is the reason I got into visual effects to begin with. I started reading it when I was 10 years old, you know, things like that. So we've certainly been appreciated by the people in the business. Right. Yeah. I, I, if I could just add, ch- chime in on that, because it's, uh, I, I've, since I've been writing for the magazine, I, I um, Things have changed even in the last uh, um, eighteen years, but but uh, uh, we do connect with the filmmakers um, uh, on all sorts of levels. And and just recently, I'm not going to name any names, but 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 um, uh, we've had some lovely compliments from people who were inspired by the magazine. But what they really uh, uh, are very 
uh, grateful for is to be able to um, give people an idea of the vast creative army they've got behind them because quite often there is a certain star system towards um, uh, like the director is the leader and uh, uh, and all this but but um, these people are uh, the captain of a ship and there's there's uh, it takes an army of people to to make these these movies happen and so I that's really gratifying when we've been able to uh, give people an opportunity to thank the uh, the unsung heroes who are really behind the scenes. I mean, you you just hang around at the end of a Marvel movie now, and you have you'll be presented with a, a football field of names. So we we can't name every one of them, but at least it's been able to give people an appreciation for just the vast uh, artistry that's behind the uh, the creation of these movies. Yes, and that is something that uh, you know definitely my question of why did Don decide to zero in on uh, this particular part of the filmmaking, it, it, you know, it really does uh, add a lot of validity to the, uh, the experience of watching these films. Because, yeah, we do forget that it's, you know, in those credits, uh, you know, usually it'll pop up as, you know, Terminator animatronics by Stan Winston. And general audiences are like, wow, Stan Winston did all that. And... Yeah. Like, like you yeah like you start to forget that well no stan winston was one of the people that did that jeff don worked on it you know all those names you know that don't get that front and center credit and that's what i love about this magazine it is a real eddie have have you uh have you uh stumbled across jody's book that she wrote on stan winston um i have not what's the name of well, it that's that's one you should definitely check check out because J- Jody really had a, a special relationship with Stan towards the end, especially towards the end of his life. And I interviewed him as well, but but you should ask Jody about Stan because that was one of his jokes that he was always a prankster and he always used to like to joke that he claimed all the credit for his films. But he was actually a very generous man with that in that regard. Yeah, he was. Yeah, the book is called The Winston Effect. I've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yeah, it's it is well worth. Uh, Don said once that if his house set on fire, and he could only save five books, that would be one of them he would save. Uh, and he has a vast library of film books, so I took that as a big compliment. But yeah, I had complete access. Dan actually chose me to write it, and uh, I remember he was a little nervous about it because he knew that he was very ill. Very few people knew that. I did not even know that. And um, I think it was very important to him that his life's work be kind of uh, uh, presented in this very nice book. And it was very, very important project to him. And I, I remember he was nervous because he was afraid it wouldn't get done in time. And by in time, I think he felt like, you know, um, he died rather unexpectedly in a way because um, but he he did know he was very ill. So I remember one time just kind of stopping him and smiling at him and saying, Stan, I promise you, you're in good hands. I am not going to let you down here. And he was so thrilled with that book. I mean, so absolutely thrilled with how it turned out. But it's, of course, it's got a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on aliens and then, of course, you know, Jurassic Park and all the other Stan Winston stuff. So, yeah, I have to say I'm pretty proud of that book. 
I will definitely, now that I know that you are associated with it, it's always been on my, uh, like if I'm on Amazon, it's usually always in my save for later kind of thing, but, uh, it's definitely something now that I'm going to probably instantly, once we, uh, disconnect here, I'm going to, uh, hit the purchase button because yeah, I have heard of that book and, uh, Stan was just incredible. He was, and, um, his collaborations in particular with, uh, Cameron are, I think some of his best work, um, so to kind of, uh, cause we could talk about every single issue, but, uh, that might take up too much time. And I know your, you know, your time is uh, precious. So, uh, let me ask a kind of, uh, generalized question between the both of you. Uh, what is your favorite James Cameron film? Oh boy. <laughs> you go first. Okay, Gabby. I'll tell you the one that I will stop and watch no matter what. Like if you're, you know, when you've got the remote control and you're going through and if no, even though I've probably seen it 20 times at this point, no matter where it is, I will stop and watch the abyss every time. Um, I love that movie and Titanic too, except that I had a young daughter who was the, you know, the age group that all the little girls were going crazy about Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic. So, like, she made me take her and her friends to see it, like, three or four times. And uh, I, I think I've, I just saw that so many times. I can't say I'll always stop if I run across Titanic, even though I think it's a fabulous movie. But The Abyss is just irresistible to me. I can't, I can't uh, not watch it if it shows up. Now, are you talking about the theatrical cut or the special edition cut? Oh, I'm kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Pretty much just the way it came out in the movies is fine with me. Okay. Yeah. Joe? Sorry, Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I actually was thinking about mentioning The Abyss because uh, that certainly has a, a mystique to it. But I think probably the one that meant the most to me was Aliens. Um, I was a huge fan of Alien and I was prepared not to like Aliens that much. But uh, um, I was very privileged that um, I got some inside info, even though I wasn't working in journalism. Uh, a good friend of mine, Nigel Booth, is a creature effects artist, and he was working with uh, Stan and, uh, uh, on the monsters. And I heard little bits and pieces, and I was very intrigued. And I got to go to the cast and crew and sat there with my buddy, who I used to make Super 8 movies with, and he would make the monsters, and watched his work on screen. And... Um, uh, it, I, I felt so proud of him and I got to meet Jim and Gail Ann Heard, the producer, his wife at the time. We crashed the after party and um, and Jim didn't kick us out. Uh, he was um, uh, amongst all the, the, the studio people that, that were there hanging out in this um, posh Mayfair um, uh, rooftop restaurant with their flamingos walking around, of, of all things. Um, he took time out from just to come and hang out with his creature guys. And you've heard all these stories about, you know, Jim can be hot headed on the set and this sort of thing. And he's a real hard taskmaster. Well, he was very happy just to, to hang with his guys because, you know, he started as a creature effects guy. So I had tremendous respect for him as a storyteller. And he, at the time I just seen the film, I didn't know anything about the special editions, but he, the, the creature guys were saying, well, what about this scene we shot and you didn't include it? And he said, well, I've got plans for that. 
So it was really fascinating to see that. And eventually, years later, the director's edition. I think I prefer the short version, but it's got such a confluence of the the perfect uh, elements of... uh, He did such a great uh, uh, job of bringing Ripley's character to life and tying in her maternal instincts with the underlying monster themes. It's just a real crackerjack movie. It just gets me every time. I just saw it again recently. And, uh, yeah, I it just holds up amazingly well, and when you yeah. consider, you know, how they did those creatures and everything, it's I, I'm just shocked at how well it holds up. There are movies yeah. that have come out that came out many years after Aliens that already look dated today. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it actually doesn't. It doesn't look dated at all. I don't think. Yeah, phenomenal choices. Really, like uh, those are. I mean, there's really not a, you know, uh, a, a weak film in his filmography, assuming you don't count Piranha Part 2. Um, <laughs> hey, the, he can't uh... be blamed for that. They took that away from him. He was not really allowed to do what he wanted to do with that movie. So, Yes, very, very, very true. Um, I think there's like three directors involved with that because I think yeah. he worked on it for a couple of weeks. And um Correct me if I'm wrong, Cinefix never covered that, correct? I don't think we were in existence yet, were we? What year was that? That was uh, uh, 82, I think. Oh, 81 okay. or 82. We yeah. But see, like I said, that's the kind of movie we would not have covered. You know, it's just... Um... There's a very fun um, fan trailer for that that somebody put together. Uh, and they, they've kind of done a, a spoof of the T2 credits with the big aluminum sliding doors. Instead of a T2, it says P2. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh I, I, yeah, you should check it out. But I, I, found, I found a copy of it and uh, managed to put t- together a, a little reel of um, fake and real movie trailers because when Don retired, we we threw him a big party and um, uh, that was one of the trailers I put on the the coming attractions, P2. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, is that on YouTube? Yeah. Okay, I got to watch that. Um, Yeah. So uh, do you guys get to keep anything from, like if you were to go to a film set and let's say there was a bunch of projects Jody's got a good one. Okay. Uh, do you like, do, like, do you get to keep anything from the film? Uh, no. <laughs> the, the one thing, what, what about the photo, yeah, Jody? The, photo. From... the one thing that uh, I was given was, you know, that photograph of uh, Sarah Connor at the very end of Terminator. Yes. Got the head, the bandana around her head and the dogs in the car and yes. stopped at a gas station. Well, they, they did that was actually shot with a Polaroid and they just shot an extra one and gave me one of the Polaroids of that. I have since given that, I don't think, you know, I don't know if you know this Joe, but I gave that to Mark Rotz. who's a very good friend of ours and who is, he created a whole like altar for this thing. Practically he made a, endoskeleton skull and puts the picture next to the skull and he he made a whole because he's a fantastic artist and uh so i kind of gave that to him as a gift didn't you didn't you have to give it to one of the effects guys on a recent i gave it to mark yes they did one of the terminators 
I don't even remember which one it was, but it was not one of the Cameron related ones. Uh, McGee, is that, is that? Oh, it? Salvation. Okay, that one. Yeah. And they were, they had a scene where he, he, the grown John Connor was looking at a, the picture of his mother. And I went to a super early, early screening of that. And I contacted them. I said, that's not the picture. That's not the picture from Terminator. You can't do that. Everyone's going to know that's not the picture from Terminator. And they said, well, we couldn't find it. We tried to find it. We couldn't find it. I said, I have it. And they said, you're kidding me. And I said, no. So I sent them a PDF of it, you know, um, anyway. And I think it wound up in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so wait, so was it like, uh, was it like a, just a random photo of someone other than Sarah? Uh, no, it was, it was Linda Hamilton, but it wasn't the photograph, you know, it wasn't the one that he would have been carrying around with him all those years. Huh. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, like my jaw hit the floor when you said that you had like one of the original, cause I didn't know that they had anything other than that one photo. I, I just assumed that it was such a small film that they would have just had one photo. Um, I didn't know that they, that they made a second one. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I don't know that anyone really even knows that. That's, that's really awesome. Um, hopefully it's in really good hands. Like hopefully he has that thing in like a frame. And Well, I think it's in an acrylic box next to the endoskeleton head. You know, I mean, honestly, and when I say he made like an altar to it, I'm not kidding. Mark uh, really did a beautiful display thing of it. I think I had it leaning up against a wall in my house. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's in very good hands. I never got to keep anything. I dropped, I dropped a few hints to uh, Richard Taylor when I went to uh, visit them at Weta on the, the uh, Lord of the Rings films. But uh, I got to hold Bilbo's sword, but he didn't let me keep yeah. it. No. Uh they're pretty stingy with those things interesting interesting so ah that's so cool i'm just fanboying for a second sorry um what here's a here's a really interesting question so cinefx is uh very uh proud to display cameron films when they come out they they get a cover feature um rightfully so cinefx has also covered pretty much every other Terminator film up to that point, yeah. but they're never on the cover. Um, you, you know, you can't read too much into that because I'll tell you what determines what's on the cover more than anything else. And that's if we get a cover image. Um, we never promise a cover to anybody and it's become a thing. It's like, it seems like the PR departments at the uh, studios, all they care about is the cover, you know? You could do a 30,000 word article inside on their movie, but unless it's on the cover, they don't care. So the cover has become a very big deal. And, uh, but I mean, obviously if it's a Star Wars movie, we really try to put that on the cover and that sort of thing. But the most important thing is that there is an image that looks to Don and now to Greg that looks like a Cinefix cover. And if, if a movie does not have that or the studio won't approve the image we want that would do that, then we use another cover. So um, that's really the determining factor. I think probably because Don had a 
pretty good relationship with Cameron. He was able to get whatever image he wanted. And like I said earlier, when he couldn't find one, that's when they went and shot the Alien Queen specifically for our cover. Okay. So here is, okay, so here's the, because that was the little warm up here. Here's the, like the million dollar question. And you guys can say yes or no, and you, or, or you can just say like, we can't answer that right now. Is Terminator Dark Fate going to get a cover when it comes out? We can't say, honestly. No? No, uh, can't say. Um, for one thing, it'll depend on what else is in that issue. Um, there might be an even higher profile. I would say the odds are pretty good that it will, but it again, it, it's a matter of if we get an image that we feel like makes a good cover or not. Well, see, the only reason I ask is because the, uh, what, the October issue has already been announced. That's the Lion King, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, so that was like, because I know that you guys released the, um, uh, the magazine pretty much every other month. Yes. So right. when I was determining that, I was like, okay, so Terminator Dark Fate's best chance here is going to be October because come December, what you just said is the rise of Skywalker will be coming out. No, um, actually, the Terminator will be in the December issue. True. Yes. Yes. But uh, as a cover is what I'm, is what I'm really kind of. Star Wars will not be until the February issue. Really? Yeah. We have found, and Joe's done most of our Star Wars stories, so he can talk about this if he wants. But um, we have just found, again, because of the secrecy thing, it's just easier to just go ahead and wait. I mean, obviously, like our Terminator article came out six months after the Terminator came out. Our readers are used to the fact that they're not going to get it tomorrow. You know, they're going to have to wait. So we've just found it works best with the Star Wars movies in particular to uh, cover it after it's already come out. Well, to cover it after it's already come out, you know, it takes us two or three months to put one of these issues together. So that means comes out in December it'll be in the february issue okay all right well i i just you know if it means anything just my uh because i know so many people would uh myself included i would just be head over heels if, if if dark fate was on the cover just you know to have maybe linda hamilton or however you guys would put that together i don't know it's just uh I think it's a real uh, important film, obviously, for her return to the franchise. And yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it could be very special. So, um, well, well, like I said, it it has the odds are very good that it will be. Sweet! Oh, I'm so excited. Um, and uh, I guess maybe one of my last questions here before I let you guys go is, um, if you were to look at all the Cameron covers. Uh, putting aside your preference of his films, what is like the one cover, assuming that you have a, a, a pretty good memory of them all, like what's the one cover that you think is maybe uh, the best or the, like the standout cover that you have put on Cinefix? You go first on this one, Joe. Oh, it's easy for me. The Terminator. The Terminator? Yeah, I just think that that, that image of, um, I think, was it Doug Beswick's um, stop motion puppet yeah. against the flames? Uh, it, it, it's just such a powerful graphic that uh, 
it's really eye-catching it's really important to the film and it uh you know, it really represents so much to so many people um that that one is just a classic to me yeah i think i'd have to say the same and as you said since that's the image that kind of sparked the entire story for cameron it's really a seminal image in more ways than one very true. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty important image. If you were to go just off of, I was seeing if you guys were going to say the true lies issue. Um, that that cover, I like. I'm looking at it right now, and it 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 looks 100% real. And yet, I I have to assume um, that there's some kind of trickery going on. Like like, are you familiar with the true lies cover? Gosh, I'm trying to remember it. Does it have the Harrier jet on it? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it, it's basically like a a hovering image above yeah. the the jet, and then the street down below with all the cops looking up at it, and it's just the most incredible thing. And I don't know, if, like when I got that one in the mail and I looked at it, I was like, oh, that is a that's a work of art right there. It's just uh, it's so incredible, and. Um, <laughs> I love it so, so much. Um, I have to say, thank you guys so, so much for coming on here. It's, uh, it's been such an honor and I'd love to talk to you more, but I know that, uh, you know, you guys have to probably get back to work and um, put out some more incredible issues. Um, just thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I look forward to the next issue and I look forward to, in uh, a couple of years when Avatar 2 comes out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that coverage because that's going to be uh, a pretty special, pretty special moment since Cameron is so selective with his films. What do you guys yeah. think about that really quickly that he's devoting so much time to these Avatar sequels? It's brave. <laughs> Very brave. Yeah. It's I, just that. Um... Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's brave because it's risky, you know. Um, it's it, it's very risky, and it's just James Cameron is, you know, putting aside my bias for him. It's he's truly one of the the greatest, and you know, he only has so much time, and I just feel like he could be doing so much other stuff. Like he could be giving us stuff and you could argue that Avatar is something that not a lot of people are wanting more of. Well, I think it's a very personal story for him. And, and perhaps we just don't know quite how personal, because I know he has a huge love affair with the, uh, with the ocean. And uh, that was a big part of his original inspiration for the original story. So, you know, perhaps there are things we just don't understand. So it kind of makes it mysterious. And, but I, I, I do admire his, uh, uh, courage because um there are other filmmakers like um uh i've i tarantino has announced he's only making 10 movies that's it he's got one more in him and he's not going to do anymore and i just want to grab him and shake him by the lapels and say why you know i i, I um i i admire uh, like uh, john jo the a great filmmaker john houston who was directing his last film with an oxygen canister next to him and a tube up his nose and i think probably spielberg will be that way they'll be there till his last legs but uh, so cameron's fearless he's sort of uh, he's there's no stopping him and you know the the film the, the, this whole terminate um this whole um uh, uh, 
uh, saga of um, uh, the Avatar films have just um, in, got more more ambitious as they go. Was it five films now? Or is it six? I, I believe it's five. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, good luck it, to him. If if anybody <laughs> if anybody's going to pull it off, though, I, I mean, see, my worry is that the world is changing so fast now. I mean, even faster than it used to. You know. Um, that, you know, he's going to be introducing it into a world that's very different than the world was when the first Avatar came out. But having said that, he's so, um, I don't know anyone who's a better filmmaker, a better writer um, than Cameron. So if anyone's going to pull it off, it'll be him and they'll probably be huge. I mean, look how many times he's, you know, the studio is, going crazy during the making of Titanic. He was over budget and over time and they were going nuts and he just said, fine, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, you know what I mean? I mean, he just, he's, he really has been a courageous filmmaker because he has a vision and he sees it through uh, no matter what. So it'll be very exciting when they, they finally come out. They, yeah, they will, and he'll probably prove everybody wrong, like he usually does, and and yeah. uh, kick Endgame from that number one spot. Even though you know, box office doesn't necessarily mean greatness, but yeah. um, it what's is. The, it, what's the feeling out there in the fan community about it? Are they kind of sick of waiting, or are they are are they fine with the long delay? Uh, I think you would find that it's pretty evenly split. There's a there's people like me who on one hand, I'm like, you know, it, it's James Cameron and he could be doing anything like he can do whatever he wants. And it's, you know, I'm not maybe understanding how, like Joe said, how personal it is to him. And um, but on the other hand, it's like, OK, yeah, he is James Cameron and I'll 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 wait for a James Cameron film. He is somebody that I will wait for. But you do have those people that look at him having the two highest grossing films of all time for quite some time and uh, put him in like a little bubble as someone who maybe has a big ego and, and who's to say that he doesn't. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, we all know he's a pretty, uh, pretty rough director to work with. Uh, he might've eased it like, like he might've uh, eased up over time, but he does have that, uh, that stigma, I think is the correct word, but uh, it's, it's something that we're, you know, me being in Orlando, I'm not that far from, they have uh, at the Walt Disney World, they have Pandora, the world of Avatar. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just a spectacle. That is a, like bringing that world to life and the main attraction, the, the flight of passage is, uh, it's, it's the greatest simulator I've ever been on. So, mm. you know, it, uh, it, 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 it has some, uh, it has some, people that uh, and when i say some lots that are really looking forward to it myself included yeah well you know he's kind of doing what lucas did with star wars although you know he's it, it's just not a story and then now here's a sequel to a story he's really created an entire world you know with the help of a lot of people but this is a whole world here there's a whole mythology and uh you know, I think he's, that's just the world he wants to work in. He's wanted to work in for the last few years. And yeah. See what it, what it produces. Yes, very true. Joe, before, uh, 
before I go on here, because I just have one other thing. Uh, how pressed for time are you? Because I know that you're really the one I, that has I, to. Yeah, I do have to, to split because I've got to give Patty back her phone. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, uh, Jody, do you mind if I keep you on for just a little bit longer? Uh, yeah, that's, to... that, that's okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. So um, I'll, I'll just say, Joe, thank you for putting this together. Um, and uh, I hope to stay in contact with you because uh, your Absolutely. magazine. Yeah. Yeah, your work, it, it, it's just terrific. So well, we, we really appreciate your enthusiasm and, uh, and that's uh, essential for us to get this kind of a f uh, f feedback. And um, uh, we're very grateful to, uh, uh, to have this opportunity. Thank you. I, I appreciate it and uh, hope to get you back on at some point. But uh, until that time, thank you once again. Okie doke. Signing off. All right. Um, oh, there he goes. Um, Jody, so the thing about, uh, and I'm not going to keep you much longer. It's just something that when we were talking about Pandora and, uh, the theme parks is, um, were you, were you familiar with, uh, the attraction that Cameron had put together the T2 3d attraction? Uh, yeah. Okay. Was that something that was ever discussed of like, can we sh like, should we cover this? And, uh, you know, it is a theme park attraction, but, uh, no. it is. I don't no. know. I don't really know very. I'm not that familiar with it, and I don't know anything about it really, so I can't really determine that. Okay. Yeah, because it was really like supposed to be a mini sequel to Terminator Two, and um, I didn't see any coverage of that on uh, Cinefix, and so I was just yeah. wondering if that was something that was debated or. Uh, uh, you know, I don't really recall, Eddie. I'm sorry. I'm kind of drawing a blank here. No, no, it's totally fine. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, it's it's just uh, we'll see. We'll see when Avatar 2 comes out and uh, hopefully I can get you guys back on. Maybe maybe Don. I would love to, to, to have the opportunity to talk to him um, to really just congratulate him for creating this magazine and uh, pick his brain a little bit. But um, <laughs> until that time comes, I really do appreciate you uh, sticking around during all those technological malfunctions oh, sure. um, that's all right i appreciate it and uh like joe i hope to talk to you again okay thanks eddie it's been fun absolutely thank you bye-bye mm -hmm. bye, -bye. bye.